Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1 because what we're going to do is just briefly review on the first few pages of your notes what we've already looked at and then we're going to pick up where we left off on Sunday night. So this is a teaching about warring according to prophecies. Warring according to prophecies. Doing spiritual battle with prophecies that we have received. We'll talk again tonight about number one, understanding where we're to receive prophecies from and where we're not to receive prophecies from. Knowing that the context of Scripture is clear. If you go back to the teachings of Jesus about the last days, the biggest warnings we get from Jesus about the last days is false prophetic things. And that's what he starts off with in Matthew 24, as we'll see again tonight, telling us not to allow anybody to deceive us. And he talks about many false prophets coming, deceiving many. That doesn't mean we throw out prophecy when we know it's of God and we know where it came from. But we got to understand that we are receiving prophecies according to the Bible. I don't know about you folks. I don't tune in to television prophets. I don't tune in to internet prophets. I know who I need to listen to and I know who I get prophetic words from as we've taught according to these scriptures. And that's the eldership God gave me. And through that eldership, I have plenty of ability to hear from God to confirm what I should already know. Amen? So again, on your notes there, if you'll notice this, number one, we'll read down through the key points here, and then we'll come back over here into the scriptures in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Number one, there is what is known as a gift of prophecy. If you didn't already, highlight or underline or circle these three things, because they're all three different. There is a gift of prophecy, spirit of prophecy, office of the prophet. So uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, talking about the gifts of the Spirit given to the body of Christ, include within it the gift of prophecy. And that is simple prophecy. Words of edification, edification, exhortation, comfort to men. So that's the gift of prophecy. Then Revelation 19, 10 talks about the spirit of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus. And that's where, obviously, the presence of God, as we talked about, can come into a congregation and literally have people now testifying to the Word, things that the Scriptures say, etc., prophetically, that really, truly begins to believe, uh, bring, excuse me, begins to bring a, a better understanding of a belief of what God has for us as uh, His children. Then there's also known as the office of the prophet, found in Ephesians chapter 4.11, which is where the five-fold ministry gifts are found, apostle, prophet, Evangelist, pastor, teacher. So the gift of the prophet there is the office of the prophet. So there are these three different types of prophecy. Say gift of prophecy, spirit of prophecy, office of the prophet. Now what are we specifically talking about here when we refer to warring according to prophecies? That which comes through the office of the prophet or in some case our eldership through a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. So that's not talking about the gift of prophecy because that's simple prophecy. That's just words of exhortation, edification, comfort to men. Number two, this gift of prophecy, so then we covered all three of these. This gift of prophecy is a manifestation of the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, 2A, God can use anyone that he pleases to use this utterance gift. Again, B, this gift of prophecy is limited to three applications, edification, exhortation, comfort. C, very important, the gift of prophecy should never do what? It should never direct. It should never predict, guide, foretell, rebuke, or reveal. That's the ministry of the office of the prophet. So it's not talking about simple prophecy in relationship to what we're talking about warring a good warfare over because that's going to come through the office of the prophet or words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Three, the spirit of prophecy can again fall like a blanket upon a congregation. And we looked at that in Revelation 19.10, which can result, as we talked about, be teaching, preaching, and even testifying about the words of Christ and the works of Christ. Number four, the final one, the office of the New Testament prophet has its own unique ministry to the body. 
And that's important to understand. We talked about that in Acts 21. Agabus, remember when he came to Paul. And, and we understand that clearly, even though Paul had stayed at, you know, Philip's house many, many times, and he had four daughters that prophesied, they were not prophets. They were not prophets, or what we would say prophetesses. They were not prophetesses. They were simply operating in simple prophecy. They never gave a word of a prophetic utterance of what was to come in Paul's life. And all of a sudden, until what? Agabus showed up. This gift of a prophet showed up, Agabus. And there we see the office of the prophet functioning to speak to uh, Timothy, very, uh, Paul, excuse me, very clearly in the book of Timothy. Uh, excuse me, in the book of Acts about what he would, would be facing as he went to Jerusalem. Now, book of Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. So this is the foundation of what this teaching is about. Verse 18, Paul said here to Timothy, he said, I charge you this, I commit this charge to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may do what? Wage the good warfare. Now, in the case of Timothy, those prophecies included Paul, his elder, his leader, his ministry leader, calling him into the ministry of the pastorate. As a young pastor, he was facing a lot of challenges in Ephesus. And Paul, to encourage him, was saying, you know what, Timothy, you need to realize and remember of the prophecies that I gave you about the fact that you are called to do this and wage warfare against the very things that try to deter you and cause you to want to give up. So a lot of times what we can do in warring a good warfare with prophecies given us is we may already be operating in what God spoke to us that we're to do that confirmed with our heart what we were to do. But sometimes you may want to quit, back down, give up. And guess what? When you've got those prophecies, you can stand up and say, no, not only do I know this is true in my heart, but it's confirmed through the prophetic word. And I've done that many times as a pastor in my life when I was younger as a pastor. So clearly that's something we need to understand about prophecy, but it's also to help us do what? Even wage a war, good warfare over things that haven't come to pass yet. Number six, it's a typo there at the start of your notes. I apologize about that. Notice this, the Bible, not THT. The Bible is clear on who should be giving us prophecies. They're known as in the Bible as the presbytery, which is simply a word from the Greek language, which refers to our elders. Our elders, those whom we know clearly who are, our, who are our elders. Go on further down in 1 Timothy to chapter 4. We'll see this verse again in verse 14. As he goes on writing this letter to Timothy, this young pastor, he tells him in verse 14 of chapter 4, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by what? By what? So that gift he's talking about here, ladies and gentlemen, is the gift of the pastor. This isn't the Holy Spirit, although the Holy Spirit enables him to do it. This is the gift of the pastor. When he laid hands on him, you know, I knew I was called to pastor, but I'll tell you how I really saw a change in my life take place was when I had leadership recognize it. And when Dr. Mark Barclay laid his hand on me, which is what the book of Acts tells you you're supposed to do. When Dr. Mark Barclay laid his hand on me and literally as a part of the presbytery that was there, Pastor was there, Dr. Roy Hicks was there, one of his spiritual dads lays hand on me and prayed over me. They literally spoke that gift over my life and decreed that gift was on my life. And I'm going to tell you what, anybody that's been in this church knows after I came back from that leadership meeting with Dr. Barclay, my ministry changed. It got, it, it got better. I was doing like Paul. I was already preaching to prove myself. But then as my pastor recognized that gift and laid his hands on me, guess what I got a part of? His anointing. Guess what I got a part of through Roy Hicks? His anointing. Both of them great teachers. Both of them pastors. That's what Paul's saying right here. Read it again. Notice this. The, the, the gift of that, when I say I got a part of the anointing of my pastor, part of the anointing of Roy Hicks, it wasn't theirs. The anointing's not theirs. It's God. It's the anointing God put on them. But that's why you have leadership. Verse 14, Do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. So even in Timothy's life, there was a time when Paul recognized that gift as a pastor. He and some of the other elders that were with him laid hands on Timothy, and they now actually acknowledged his calling into that office of the pastor. And he's saying, don't neglect that gift. So how do you not neglect that gift? I'll tell you how. 
Not only do you do what you need to do as a pastor to study and prepare, but you war a good warfare when the enemy tries to get you to quit. And you remind yourself that you clearly know that gift came from God and it was confirmed through us. Amen? So number six is simply saying, if you'll notice this 6a, you don't allow strangers to speak into your life. Very clearly, according to the Bible, 6b, be sure you know who is ministering to you, especially when they're trying to guide you. Because I guarantee you, if it comes from the office of a prophet, it's not to totally guide you as much as it is to confirm to you what you already know God's led you into. So back on number five, that reminds us of 5a then. Prophecies are meant to be what? Roadmaps. And that just means you and I are supposed to already know the direction we're supposed to go. So think of a prophecy as a roadmap. So today, if I know that I need to go from Ponder, Texas to wherever, I know that's where I need to get. Guess what prophecy can help me do? No, that's where I'm supposed to go. And therefore, keep me on the right road, headed the right direction. Amen? So prophecy helps us to stay on the course God has already confirmed in our heart to go on. So if I get a prophecy from God that I truly know is from God, would I not already know what God wants me to do? No, you'd already know what God wants you to do. God's not going to speak to you with something you don't already know you're supposed to do because there ain't no no place in the New Testament that anybody is led by a prophet. Awful quiet in here. There's not a single place in all of the New Testament that anybody is ever led by a prophet. Nor does the Bible ever say you're to be led by a prophet. You're supposed to be led by two things. Word of God. Spirit of God. Right? Romans chapter 8. All who are led of my spirit, they are sons of God. And the word of God's clear. I mean, you, you and I are supposed to be following the pattern of the word for our life. Amen? I said amen. amen. You have to understand our pastor has a prophetic gift on his life. He'll be one of the first ones to stand up and tell you the New Testament office of the prophet is not the same as the old. Because under the old, nobody had the Holy Spirit to guide them except the prophet. In the New Testament, you do. Right? You have not only the Holy Spirit to guide you, but you now have the Holy Spirit to do what? Teach you the word of God. See, the word of God is foolishness to those who are perishing. Why? They don't have the Holy Spirit in them to teach them the word of God. So you and I are to follow the leading of what? The word of God. You're really quiet. I want, that ner- makes me nervous. Because when I'm not hearing a lot of amens, what I'm telling you it makes me nervous that you're not hearing it. You're supposed to be led by two things in the New Testament. The word of God and the Holy Spirit. Study it for yourself. Don't believe it because I told you. Don't believe it because Dr. Mark Barclay told you. And he did. And he will. So did Brother Hagin. So did many other great prophets of God. You are not to be led under the New Testament by prophets. There is no place in the Bible that happens. Prophets under the, go through all the book of Acts. The only prophetic statements being made by prophets to those obviously they're speaking to, they already knew what was going to go on. They already knew what was going to happen. He just simply tell them what they already knew. So what does the prophet do in the New Testament? He confirms. I already know my destination. I already know where I'm supposed to go. What are they doing? Confirming. They're helping me know I'm on the right path. Roadmap. So they're just helping me know I'm on the right path. Amen? Number seven, confirmation is not always needed. Sometimes you'll absolutely know without a doubt what God's called you to do. It's in line with the Bible. It's in line with where God planted you. So you may not need confirmation. But if you do need confirmation, guess what? Then you just simply wait till it comes. If you're not sure, if you're still kind of hesitant, I don't know, Lord, is this really you? Then don't look for confirmation. Say, don't look for it. Let me tell you why. God knows you need it if you need it. See, one of the things people make a mistake in the prophetic movement is they keep looking for a word. You keep looking for a word. I have a word for you. Ready? I'm going to give you a word. You ready? You keep looking for a word. You're going to make it known. You're trying to find somebody to give you a word. Well, guess what? Demons will oblige you. Demons will, familiar spirits will have done it all through history, man, and misled people. And it won't sound like the devil. He's smart enough to know he's a deceiver. He's smart enough to know I can't make it look evil or bad. I got to make it look good like what you want to do to to lead you down that pathway. Don't go looking for a word. Every true prophet of God today, true prophet, true prophet, that truly is of God will tell you, do not go looking for a word from God. Familiar spirits will oblige you. They'll say, oh, wonderful, great. I'll find somebody down here at the grocery store when they go buy their groceries this week to speak to them. Say, hey, you know what? I feel like God's got a word for you. Well, there you go. See, are you supposed to be listening to them? 
No, you're supposed to be listening to your eldership. Guys, if you don't think God doesn't have the ability to speak to you through your leadership, we're putting God on a very small scale. Can I get a better amen? If God can use a donkey to deal with one of his leaders, I don't look like a donkey and I am not one in Jesus' name. But if God can make a donkey speak to one of his leaders when he's out of line, God can use leadership to speak to you. You get lots of great men of God that come through this pulpit that know how to hear God. You're still here. And if God had a word for you, he would say it. God expects us to learn to follow him for ourselves. We're his children. He's our father. We should know how to follow the leading of our father and not rely on prophets. Everybody I've ever watched rely on prophets under the New Testament to get where God wants them to go winds up in the spiritual junk heap. I've not seen one person yet follow words from others that didn't get off and deceived and misled and into all kinds of garbage and stuff. And the next thing you know, man, things are totally upside down in their life. Why? Because they're not following God. Satan wants to pull you along. He wants to bait you. He wants to get you going the direction he wants you to go. The end result is not good. But he got to surely make it look good on the way there. So that leads us to number eight. So the last thing that you want to do is to get caught up with what? With the crowd who operates under the power of the mind. Go to Jeremiah 23. We're going to look at it again. <clears throat> these are the verses we actually got to Matthew, but right before that, I want to show you these verses in Jeremiah, and then we'll jump over to Matthew again. In Jeremiah 23, you'll see here clearly in the days of Jeremiah what God referred to as relates to this to the children of Israel in their day, and then we'll see a prophetic, uh, excuse me, then we'll see a statement from Jesus in relationship to the New Testament where we're at today of something very similar, how we got to beware of what we're listening to. Jeremiah 23, back in Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah 23, we're going to pick it up here in verse 21. Jeremiah 23, 21. If you're there, say amen. amen. Jeremiah 23, 21, God said through the prophet Jeremiah in his day, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. You got to underline that. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. What's that mean? They still went forth and prophesied. You understand that? In other words, they went before others to prophesy, but I didn't send them. I'm not the one that sent them, but they went anyway. I have not spoken to them, yet they did what? Now listen, if that happened under the Old Testament, how much more do you think that's happened under the New? What we're going to see in Matthew 24, he said in the last days, he said, you'll have many false prophets who will deceive many. So clearly he said, I've not spoken to them, yet they prophesied, 22. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. You know what that means? They were prophesying to them things that they wanted to hear for themselves that was simply of their own carnal desires that was actually evil. You listening? If you go through the Old Testament, do you realize almost every one of these prophets that, how would you like to have been an Old Testament prophet? I'm going to tell you what, most of you would not want to have been. Because their assignment was not good. Their assignment wasn't go, God loves you, you're wonderful, everything's good, praise God, hallelujah. Now almost every time they had to go correct them. It was always stuff they didn't want to hear because they didn't want to do what God wanted to do. The only reason you don't want to hear what God wants you to hear is because you don't want to do what God wants you to do. I'm telling you, people who you know, begin to start off with the word and all of a sudden like it until all, now all of a sudden it goes contrary to what they want to do. Now they don't like it or don't agree with it anymore. It don't change the word. You're just going to wind up in a bad position by not going the way God wants you to go. Say, God's got your best interest in mind. 23, notice this, am I, am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? In other words, you're not going to get away from me wherever you go. 25, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies. What do they do? They prophesy lies in my name, saying, in my name, saying, I have dreamed a dream. Why? They got to make it sound good. Now, if they prophesied lies, where did this stuff come out of? Their heads. Didn't come out of their heart, didn't come by the Spirit of God. Came out of their heads. 26, how long will this be 
in the heart of the prophets. Now, the word heart there is referring to the actual part of their soul, center part of their soul, mind, will, and emotions, not their spirit. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy again what? Lies. Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. They ain't speaking for God. Go to Matthew 24. <clears throat> and I'm going to tell you what. Do you know who follows all the voices in the context even today of most prophets? The crowd does. Don't misunderstand me, folks, but I'm going to tell you right now. Not all. Say not all. Please don't take this and put everybody under a blanket. But I'm going to tell you right, right now, according to the Bible, based on the pattern of the Bible, based on the Word of God, the majority are not in the context of the know with God. The majority are actually doing opposite of what God wants them to do. Look at the history of the Bible. It's happened forever. In the context of the, the children of Israel bringing, brought, being brought out of Egypt, right? Over a million people brought out of Egypt. How many had a heart to serve God and walk with God? Think about that. Two of them. Over a million people, over a million people did not truly want to serve God. What was it about Joshua and Caleb that was different? They had a different spirit about them. So what was the different spirit about them? I'm going to tell you what the different spirit was. You ready? Like me and you in the New Testament, they weren't living for them. They were living for God. It ain't hard to go back and look at what those children of Israel were living for. They were living for themselves. Because every time things didn't go the way they wanted, they moaned, groaned, and complained. You know how you can tell when you're living for you? You do a lot of moaning, groaning, and complaining. <clears throat> so you got to understand the majority. Jesus said this. Ready for Jesus' own words? Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. That means confined, which leads to life. Now, a lot of people just think that's talking about eternal life. I think it's included, but the word life there is Zoe, which is life as God has it, which we're even promised in this time now. Right. Zoe life, there's a lot of scriptures on this. Amen. If you want to walk in Zoe life, guess what you can't do? Now listen, you're not going to earn it. No. You're not going to earn Zoe life. But you can't live carnal and walk by faith. Amen. You can't live carnal and walk in the, the very spiritual laws that God set up and governed uh, this obvious uh, kingdom of his with that still operate the kingdom. God can't change the kingdom for us because we choose to live different. But thank God it's already set up ahead of time for us. We're not earning anything. We're learning how to function in God's kingdom and receive what God has for us because of what Jesus did. We don't earn a single thing from God. But narrow is the gate and confined. Difficult there means confined. In other words, you can't go off and just do your own thing. Confined is the way which leads to what? Zoe. God kind of life. But broad is the gate. Wide is the way that goes into destruction and many. So Jesus even said, Jesus even said, listen, the majority are rarely right. The majority are rarely right because the majority tend to always want their way. So what are you saying, Pastor? Don't, I'm glad you're not. I'm glad that you're not hung up on the size of our church. I'm glad you're not hung up on us not being this massive, huge Church, well, surely if it's a big church, they must be doing things right. Listen, tumors get really big and there's something really wrong with them. That's right. Ain't nothing right about them. You listening? There's a lot of tumorous growth in the body of Christ today because the Bible even warned us it would happen. Now, again, don't put every big church under a blanket. We're not responsible to judge them. It's none of our business. But I'm just telling you right now, you got to realize the majority tend to be wrong. And what happens in these big churches is they bring prophets in to tell them what they want to hear. I watched this during the 2020 election. I watched how many times these shows, these, these Christian shows and these churches brought in these prophets prophesying Trump will be the next president. Over and over. Wait a minute. They didn't say he'd win the election. That's not what they said. They said he will be the next president. Guess what? He is not the president. Now they're trying to change their words and say, well, I just meant he would win the election. That's not what you said. Many of them were so direct, they said, he'll be in the White House uh, after 2020. Guess what? He ain't there. Now, why did they say that? Because that's what the majority of Christians wanted to hear. Majority of people that obviously believe in the least conservative guidance of what he does of his policies. I know a lot of people don't like him personally. Well, guess what? There's a lot of kings in this Bible that I guarantee it weren't real good kings in the natural. But they reverenced God. They had enough of fear of God that they would not go against God. 
How about in the days of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Amen? They had enough of fear of God that after they threw him into the fire furnace and they walked out seeing that somebody else was in there, Jesus, he said, you know what? We're going to bow down and worship your God. <laughs> it didn't change himself as a person, but I'll guarantee you what, it changed his policies. He, did, he ditched the policy about bowing down to his God pretty quick. Matthew 24, you're still here. So notice what Jesus said. I've taught you this many times, but Matthew 24 is the uh, gospel account of Matthew of what Jesus talked about about the end times, the last days. Very first words out of his mouth. Take heed that what? No one. one. Take heed that no one deceives you. Verse 5. Notice this. For many will come what? In my name. In other words, they're claiming, hey, I'm speaking for Jesus or I'm anointed of God or I'm a true pastor or I'm a true prophet or whatever. That's what it refers to. Saying, I'm the Christ. See, I'm the anointed one. I'm anointed by God. And they will do what? What will they do? He said they will deceive many. So I have a question. I've asked this everywhere I've ever gone and preached at any church or any type of meeting anywhere where I've talked about end times. I can't tell you how many times I've asked this question over and over and over again. Question, are we in the last days? He was saying this is what happened in the last days. If we're in the last days, then guess what? These false prophets are already here. They're not coming. If they're already here, guess what that means? They're already deceiving many. You know what's sad? True. You know what's sad though? There's many Christians deceived today. Thus said Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So I've said it for years. If they're already here, do you know who they are? Because you shouldn't be paying attention to them. shouldn't be listening to them. Now, how do most people get caught up listening to a deceived uh, prophet? A deceiving prophet. How do they do that? Somebody turns them on to them. Some other friend, some other believer turns them, who's already been deceived. Oh, uh, you need to quit listening to that little podunk pastor here who's over there and ponder. He come over here where there's a lot of people. My pastor knows what's going on. We bring prophets in all the time. They tell us all kinds of stuff. What's amazing, like Pastor Barclays, even now the Lord's been dealing with him to deal with prophets of the day. He said it time and again. I've heard him say it for years to me. Now he's publicly saying it because God told him to. So isn't it amazing how many of these meetings, they'll bring these false prophets in and they'll prophesy stuff and over half of what they say never happens. But everybody shouts and hollers and praises God and gives them a big offering and they leave and none of it comes to pass. But they bring them back because guess what? They're not the pastor. Everybody forgets about that. They bring them back in and here we go again. And they just bring them back again and again and again. I'm saddened by the Christian programs today that are literally allowing these false prophets to be on their programs. I thank God for people like Mario Marullo that are having the backbone to stand up and say, I ain't going on that program anymore because I happen to know those other two people are false prophets. And I'll tell you what, the majority of the people that responded to his statement of that were not good. You know why? Because the majority never go the right way. They were claiming all kinds of stuff. You're judging them. No, he's not. He's judging what they're doing. He's not judging them to damnation. He's saying what they're saying is not true. It's not biblical. It's not based on the Bible. They're saying there's mountains of jello in heaven. Excuse me? Where in the world do you find mountains of jello in heaven in the Bible? This is crazy stuff, folks. But it's happening. Verse 11, same chapter. Notice Jesus said that many false prophets will do what? They will rise up and deceive what? Come on, are you with me? What, what does it say in verse 11? Many false prophets will rise up. When? In the last days. Are you there? Yes. So they're already here. Right. Notice this. And they will do what? They will do what? Excuse me? Deceive. They'll deceive many. Would you like to know why these people are so easily deceived? Would you like to know why? Yes. That's a few of you. Let me show you why. Next verse tells you. Because lawlessness will abound. <clears throat> oh, yeah. How in the world, pastor? How in the world could these prophets... Deceive so many Christians because lawlessness will abound and the love of many will grow cold. I'm going to tell you what, the average believer, don't get upset. I'm just telling you the facts of what the Bible reveals in the life of Jesus and even in the time he lived right up till today. The average believer does not have God as their first love. I wish they did. I really do. really do wish they did. I didn't say you don't. I don't think you would be here if you didn't. But I'm going to tell you right now, most people really don't have Jesus as their first love. And the way you can tell that is by their lifestyle. When you get to the point where you just want to be a Sunday morning Christian and do your little duty and go about your life, Jesus ain't your first love. That already tells me you're not walking with him on Monday and Tuesday. Come on, and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. So what's lawlessness? So the very first thing he said would lead up to this is what? Lawlessness. I've taught you this before. 
In this context of what he's talking about, what is lawlessness? What is lawlessness? So what is the ultimate law? I'm not talking about Old Testament law. What's the ultimate rule? What do we go by? This is it right here. This is the ultimate law of God. It don't change. God said, my word does not change. Are you listening? He doesn't change. He and his word are one. What he says in the Bible is absolute. It doesn't change. If it did, we'd have to be trying to figure out today. What's God going to do today? Because now he's changed from yesterday. But he doesn't change. And aren't you glad because he doesn't, his word always works. So the phrase lawlessness here, if you don't know it in the Greek, means a disregard for what I'm holding in my hand right here. They have a disregard for the word. They lose a total disregard for the very truth of God's word, and they start making it fit their own lifestyle. They start twisting it to say what they want it to say. They're not going to tell you, I don't believe the Bible. They're just going to say, well, I don't see it the way you do. Well, wait a minute, man. What are we talking about? Now, if it's black and white in Scripture, I don't care what you say. It doesn't matter how I see it or you see it. If God said it, that settles it. Does God actually tell us in the Bible about church attendance in the last days? Does God actually tell us about forgiving everybody? Does God actually tell us about loving everybody, including your enemies? You know how many Christians don't? You want to know why? Lawlessness. And where does lawlessness begin? Where does lawlessness begin? God's not your first love. See, you are. Because you're your first love, when this goes contrary to what you want, Guess what you're going to do? You're going to find a way to make this say what you want it to say because you're your own first love. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 16? What did Jesus say back here in Matthew 16, 24? You want to follow after me? What's the first thing you got to do? Deny yourself. So you got to deny that old you. You got to deny that old selfish nature. Take up your cross. Do what I have called you to do. Fulfill the will I have for you. And do what? Follow in my footsteps. So I'm going to tell you, not a lot of believers are doing that. Not the majority anyway. So we got to watch out because guess what? Our our guard against getting into this position of giving into false prophecies is what? Don't lose a disregard for the word. How do you do that? You start losing your love for God. Has it happened in the Bible? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And even in the context of the book of Revelation, what what, what did Jesus tell John to pen in a letter to the church at Sardis? You tell them they've left their first love. This is a church. These are believers. This is not the world. How do you leave your first love? He had to once have been your first love. If he wasn't your first love, you couldn't have left him. You've left your first love. And he said, if you don't repent, turn around and come back, guess what? You're ready for this one? I'll blot your name out of the Lamb's book of life. Excuse me? You do what? I'll blot your name out of the Lamb's book of life. So you got to understand how dangerous this can be. I don't believe anybody in this church is there. I'm just trying to tell you, we don't want to get to the place where all of a sudden God isn't our passion and our love and who we live for every day. Why would you not want to? He's the best thing that ever happened to your life. You couldn't find a better friend. You couldn't find a better father who loves you more than anybody else. He proved it by Jesus taking your sin and punishment. How good is God? He is so good. Drop down a little further to verse 24. He goes on to say, For false Christ and false prophets will rise. They will. False Christ, those who claim again that they are the anointed ones. And false prophets, they're going to rise and they're going to show what? They're going to show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the like. Well, how can they do signs and wonders? Familiar spirits, demons. Brother Hagen, excuse me, Brother Sumrall learned when he was in the mission field, he actually got a witch doctor saved. And this guy was one of the big-time witch doctors of the region where he was at who had done all kinds of unspeakable things and wild crazies. And this witch doctor said, you Christians are so ignorant about demons. And he said, well, teach me then. Teach me about them. And he spent like six months with this guy. He said, I'm going to tell you what demons do. Demons make pacts with humans. They tell humans, I'll get you what you want if you do what I tell you. You do what I tell you, and I'll do whatever you want. I'll get whatever you want. Talking about from the world, I'll get you whatever you want. Because they influence enough people, they can get whatever you want. So I'll get, I'll get you whatever you want, man. You want women, I'll get you women. You want money, I'll get you money. You want cars, I'll get you cars. You want clothes, I'll get you clothes. Tell me what you want, but you got to work for me. This is a witch doctor telling him this. And he said, but the problem is most people don't realize, because Satan's a deceiver, once they come and now take you over, guess what? They don't do what they say. Why? Satan's the father of lies. But now they have control of your life. 
And he said, now you're caught up in control of your life. Now they got you so fearful that they tell you, if you don't do what I tell you, I'm going to kill you. I'll take your life. So now you're afraid to lose your life. And he said, I can't tell you how many times that demons would take me into meetings that ministers were doing. And literally those ministers who were, honor, who were dishonoring the Word of God and not doing what God said, and they were actually trying to glorify themselves, the Holy Spirit wasn't operating, but demons would bring me in there to allow familiar spirits to function through me to do miracles. Example, a cancer in the sense of what actually sometimes, not always, but what a cancer could be comes from a demon. All of it comes from Satan. Right? If he put it on you, if the, if the devil put it on you, guess who can take it off? And he said, I watched in meetings where all of a sudden a guy would come up and the minister would be praying for him. And literally I would hear one of these familiar spirits speak to another demon. They would go up, take the cancer off him, and they would think God did it. Well, you got a guy in the book of Acts that did the same thing. His name was Simon. He served demons and the people thought it was the great power of God. So Jesus said, they'll even have signs and wonders following to, God, to, to grab people's attention. We don't go by signs and wonders. We go by the word. Come on, folks. We go by the word. Because even demons can do supernatural things. So 9A, five times. We, we finished here last Sunday. Don't worry, that wasn't all, re, all uh, review, by the way. 5A, five times Jesus refers to deception. What does he say in these verses? One, take heed that what? No man deceive you. So how do I avoid that? Well, number one, keep, keep Jesus as your first love. You won't start uh, dishonoring the Word of God in your life, and therefore you won't go looking for things contrary to the Word. A2, many false anointed ones deceiving many. So who's the false anointed ones? Revival, did, did Asbury set up and say, God's going to use Asbury for revival in the last day? They had no idea it was going to happen. I'm very bothered by places that claim we are the place where revival is going to break out. We're it. We're, we're, the, we're the central place where revival is going to come. Can I tell you what? They are probably never going to see, see revival. Right. We are. We are. We are. We are like, like we're the ones that somehow, because of we're special or whatever, God's going to do it. No, I'm going to tell you what. My pastor will tell you, God will rarely move in a place like that. He wants to move everywhere, but he'll, because they'll take all the credit for it. They're already taking credit for it and it hasn't even happened yet. Right. <laughs> Those are false anointed ones, folks. Yeah. Three, many false prophets, what? Deceiving many. Deceiving many. Four, he also said lawlessness will increase. Why? Because their love grows cold. Because of their love for God growing cold, they'll start disrespecting the word more and more and more and more. Well, I just don't believe that anymore about the Bible. Well, wait a minute, but if that's what the Bible says, well, I just think you're misinterpreting it. Really? Is it black and white or not? Because right. if it's black and white, you can say what you want, but I'm going to tell you right now, all you're going to do is hurt your life by not doing what Scripture says because you're going contrary to God. And that's not a good thing. I said that's not a good thing. You, you understand what, what going by the Word is all about? Do you understand what living by the Word is all about? That's what it's about. Do you trust God? Yes. Then why would you not do this? Amen. If I trust Him, what He said is for my benefit. Right. If, I, if I trust Him, what He said is for, for the good outcome of my life, not bad. Right. If I trust Him, it doesn't mean I won't face challenges. But if I trust Him, He'll bring me through them. Amen. Isn't that right? Yeah. I mean, all you, all you have to look at in relationship to lifestyle faith is how far can you trust God? All you got to do is ask yourself... How much of this book can I believe and actually, and uh, how much of this book can I read and actually believe it so? And therefore follow it because I trust God. Why would you not follow it? Because you don't trust Him. Amen. The last one, five, he says there, 9A5, false prophets, will, uh, false prophets will also do what? They will be in connection with the Antichrist spirit of the last days. So B, Jesus also then tells us, of false prophets in sheep's clothing. We're not going to turn there. Matthew 7, 15 through 16 and 20, he talks about the fact that there will be false prophets in sheep's clothing. Meaning what? They'll look like believers. They'll say they are. They'll say they're ministers of God. But I'll guarantee what? They won't be. Amen. They won't be. We've got to watch out for that. On the back of your notes, number 10. The Bible also predicts what? I love this. So we're not going to kick out the real from the, from the false. Come on, somebody. The Bible does predict a real prophetic revival in the earth. Yeah. See, that's why Satan so wants to pervert it. 
Because he knows there's, there's a true movement coming. So he wants to pervert it. You know this whole, this whole woke society? You know, we need to awake, you know, in all these different ways. Let me help you. All Satan's trying to do is pervert what's the truth. You know what we need to do? We need to awake to righteousness. We need to awake to who we are in God. We need to awake to the reality of who we are in God. We need to identify with the real us. The new us, the new believer on the inside. And now you got Satan trying to get all these people into deception to identify with all the, all the kinds of things in their life because he's a deceiver. But we do need to identify with something. What do we need to identify? The new Christ in us. The new spirit in us. So thank God for this true, real prophetic revival in the earth. Amen? Is it to direct us? Is it to direct us? Is it to lead us? No, it's not. It, it can give us direction, but it's not to direct us or lead us because we're to be led by God. It's confirming what we already know. Amen? Not to confuse you, but it's just confirming what we already know. So 10a, the first thing he talks about in the context of the Bible, last days, he talks about the son's gift to the body of the prophet, as we've already talked about in Ephesians 4.11. Well, that's all through the last of the last days. So that's part of the real prophetic revival in the, in the context of the earth of the last days. To be a part of that revival of the prophetic statement, excuse me, the prophetic work in the earth, it will also come through the office of the prophet because they're going to be operating right up until the rapture in the, in the last of the last days. Notice 10b, we also know the Holy Spirit again, we've already looked at, gives these gifts to the body, including simple prophecy as well as words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Does that include the last days? Absolutely. So it's a part of a real prophetic revival in the earth in the last days. Amen? Amen? I'll go to Acts chapter 2. Now this is something we don't talk a lot about, probably should start talking about more about, and especially you parents with kids. Acts chapter 2. We know the Bible says that there is a true prophetic move to come. We just need to be part of the true prophetic move. And all we have to do is realize if it's coming from an office of a prophet, it needs to be an elder that I'm aware of who they are. B, if it's coming through the Holy Spirit's gifts to the body, it should be in context of the body I'm a part of. Amen. Amen. And then C, he even talks about in the midst of the body how even young people will flow in the gifts. Aren't you excited about that? He prophesies this about the last days. This comes from the prophet Joel, written now brought over here into the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. It shall come to pass in what? It shall come to pass in what? So we'll notice here there is a true prophetic revival to come in the last days. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on what? All flesh. Underline it. And your sons and daughters will do what? Well, there you go part of the last days. What is this prophecy here? Exhortation, edification, and comfort to men. Simple prophecy. God's going to use our sons and daughters, our younger people, who will yield to God, who are submissive to the Holy Spirit, who are in line with their parents and in line with obviously the church they're in, that God's going to use these people to do what? To actually prophesy. He goes on to say, and your young men will even do what? See visions. And your old men will do what? Dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants. So there you go. These are people that are submitted and serving God. Amen. See, it's not people just doing their own thing. They're truly submitted. And they're submitted biblically and they're serving God. Men servants and maid servants means voluntarily submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this, I'll pour out of what? My spirit in those days. So when he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh, does that mean everybody on the planet is going to prophesy? No. On his men servants and maid servants, meaning what? It's not limited to certain people. All who are serving God have the availability to be able to see this happen in their life. Can I get a better amen? And they shall also do what? Prophesy. So we clearly see there's a move spoken about of the last days, a prophetic movement, and we don't, want to, we don't want to quench that. We want to see it happen. I said, we want to see it happen. We want to see it. I said, we want to see it happen. It, it, think about words of exhortation, edification, and comfort to men, how much that blesses and helps people. It builds them up. It makes them stronger. Number, number 11 on your notes there. Do not get caught up in the overemphasis of the day in prophetic things. 
Because clearly Jesus already told us this and we read it in the scriptures. There's going to be an overemphasis of prophetic things in the last days. Don't get caught up with that. But don't kick out the baby with the bathwater. There's a real prophetic move to happen. It's already happening. I said it's already happening. And thank God it can increase for those who desire to be used by God. And stay submitted to Him. Twelve, do not pretend to be anything or anybody you are not. Meaning what? Obviously, you're not trying to function in these gifts on your own. You're not trying to make them happen. It says the Spirit wills. But you got to earnestly covet the gifts to be used of God for what? For what? we got to earnestly covet the, the gifts, the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit for what? The profit of all. It's not for me. See, when the Bible says earnestly covet the gifts of the Spirit... It's doing so by telling you you should do so for the profit of others. If you want to function in the gifts that the Holy Spirit wants to use the body in, in the last days, guess what you've got to be functioning in a context to do that with? You've got to be functioning in a hunger for those gifts to do what? Help others. Not for me to be seen. Not for me to look like I'm somebody big. Not for my benefit, but for the benefit of others. Why does the Holy Spirit distribute these gifts? For the profit of all. So we're to earnestly covet these gifts, the Bible says. Desire them. But we're to do so with the what? A desire to help other people. I want other people to be touched by God. I want them to know my Jesus. I want them born again. I want them walking with God. I want them built up in the things of God. Amen. It's all about helping them. It's not about making us look big. And it's not about helping us. The gifts of the Spirit are not to help us directly. The gifts of the Spirit are to help others. Can I get a better amen? amen. So don't, be, don't pretend, uh, number 12, don't, be t- don't pretend to be anything or anybody or not. If God does use you in a form of prophecy, does that make you a prophet? No. No, so don't pretend, oh, I'm a prophet. And see, this is a problem today. How many people claim their prophets and prophetesses all because maybe God did use them one time to give a simple prophecy. Maybe he didn't. Maybe they just want to be one. You know how many people want to be prophets? You know how many people want to prophesy? A lot of people do for one reason, because it makes them look good. And that's dangerous. I said, that's dangerous. These are the ones that are going to be deceived and mislead others. 13, even if you are taught everything, let me back up to number 12 there. So does that mean God's speaking to them? No. No, demons are using them. 13, even if you are taught everything. Now, this is just to relate an understanding of the office of the prophet. Listen carefully. He's not talking about y'all being pastors. He's just giving an example. Even if you're taught everything there is to know about pastoring so that you could go out and pastor. So I know everything a pastor is to do. I know everything of what it takes to be a pastor. And, I'm there, and, and therefore, I could go out and pastor. You Notice this. Uh, again, if you know everything about what pastoring is so you could go out and pastor, you, I, I'm, there's another typo. It should say still, not till. You still must be what? Gifted. By God to do it. You may know everything a pastor does. That don't make you a pastor. You got to be gifted by God to do it. And guess what? Prophetic things are the same way. So even though you know all that a prophet's to do or how a prophet's to operate, whatever, or even in the context of simple prophecy, listen, it doesn't mean you can do that unless truly what? Unless the Holy Spirit uses you in that way. 14. A New Testament prophet can. This is the office of the prophet. Not simple prophecy. Like a person like Dr. Barclay. A New Testament prophet can do what? They can direct. They can predict, confirm, reveal, rebuke, etc. I thought you said they didn't direct. No, they're just simply directing you on the path you already know to go. They're not telling you what to do. You already know. They're just confirming you're going the right direction. Did you get that? You listening? They can predict things to come. Not about our lives. Things that God says is coming down the pike. Go pick up Dr. Barclay's prophecy preview. They can predict of things they see that could be coming because God wants to warn the body. They can also confirm things with you, reveal things to you, and even bring rebuke to you, etc. While the gift of prophecy, uh, again, that simple gift of prophecy is what? Does not do those things. And you can see this all through the book of Acts. Now, I want to add something to your notes on the bottom of your notes if you would like this in the next 10 minutes. I'm going to give you three things to do how to wage a good warfare with prophecy. 
Okay, so how do I wage a good war, warfare with prophecy? I know I should. I know what not to listen to. I know what to listen to. And if you've got a prophetic word already been given to you, how do I wage a good warfare with that prophetic word that I know is in confirmation with my heart and in line with the word? So, Pastor, how do I go to war with that? If you have a prophecy in your life that hasn't been fulfilled, you should be doing these three things. Because the Bible tells you to wage a good warfare with the prophecies that you've been given. That's what, the, what, what did we learn already from this last week? These prophetic statements are what? They are for us to use in warfare. Because we already know what God told us, the prophetic utterance, his confirmation of that. So use that as a form of warfare to go and win the battle. Amen. How do we do it? Number one, I won't have time to turn to these. Let's look at the first one. Go to Joshua 1. We will. They're just, they're close together. Joshua 1. They're not on your notes. I'm adding them. They're not on your notes. I'm, I'm giving you three things to do. How do I wage a good warfare, Pastor, concerning the prophecies that have been given me? I'm going to show you. Go to Joshua chapter 1. So God, all through the context before Joshua gets put in a position, God's speaking all the time uh, to Moses about bringing him into the promised land, right? Going to bring in this promised land. Going to do it. Going to do it. He's decreeing it all the time, prophetically. To Moses, through Moses, through others, he constantly tells them, I'm going to bring you to this promised land. So now it's time to go in. They're getting prepared. They're getting ready to go. Guess what they're going to have to do? Wage a good warfare. Right? right? Yes. First, first battle they're going to face? Jericho. Right. A fortified city. You know what's unique about Jericho? And you know archaeologists have found the walls? They've actually excavated them. You know what's unique about the walls of Jericho? You know a round wall does not fall inward. It falls outward. You know what the walls of Jericho did? They fell inward. They fell inward and then went down. You know why? Because God did it. God always does stuff contrary to natural man. Just to prove it was him. So they're going to go into this battle. So guess what they need to do? Joshua needs to wage a good warfare over the prophetic statements. The prophecies that God had spoken to him. Amen? And the people. Watch this. You ready? That's three of you. Joshua chapter 1 verse 12. Notice this. This is literally Joshua speaking to the people about what they were supposed to be reminded of. And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke saying, look at this, 13, underline it. Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. Well, where did Moses get that word? God. So what was it? It was a prophetic statement. It was a prophetic word. What did Joshua just tell him? Remember it. You remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is what? Give. Here was the word. The Lord is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Well, it sure don't look like it. There's giants in that land. <laughs> There's a big fortified city we got to come up against. And what's he tell them to do? You remember what God said. Number one, remind yourself of what God has spoken to you. You want to wage a good warfare with the prophecies God gave you? Number one, you got to remind yourself of what God has spoken to you. How do you remind yourself of what God has spoken to you? Two ways. If you have that word audible, you should listen to it consistently. But that should not be all you do with it. What else should you do? Write it down. Write the vision. Make it plain. Remind yourself of what God has spoken to you. How, pastor? Listen to it if you've got it audible. And even if you've got it audible, do what? Write it down. And do what? Read it over and over again. Remind yourself of it. Remind yourself of what God told you. That's exactly what Joshua is telling the children of Israel. Because you, you boys and girls are about to go in here and face a battle. And God's going to win it. But you don't, if you freak out in the midst of this, guess what? He ain't going to be able to do what he promised. Come on, somebody. What did he tell them to do? So you know what they're thinking. We're going to go in there, man. I mean, we're going to do our best. We don't have a whole lot of weapons. We're going to do our best. And somehow God's going to help us overcome them. Not at all how God said to do it. Right. What did God say to do? March around that wall. Right. Seven days. Right. Seven days. First six days, one time each day. What are you going to do? You're going to praise me. Excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> we're going to do what? You're going to praise me. Right. We're going to praise you. Yeah, you're going to praise me. Remember what Joshua told him? Had a word from God. He said, listen, you keep your mouth shut. Right. Why? Because you can mess this whole thing up. 
If you speak contrary to what God said he's going to do, you can get everybody else going your way and all of a sudden fearful and they won't do what God's telling us to do. Can you say amen? Now that wall was so, so wide they could race chariots side by side on top of that wall. What do you think their armies are doing? Looking down on the children of Israel. They're looking down on you while you're walking around singing, looking up at these guys like, oh man. They just said, do what? Walk around one time each day and say, and on the seventh day, go around how many times? Seven times. Seven times, God. But on the seventh time, I'm going to tell you when to shout. You know what faith is? Faith is a shout before the walls ever come down. So many ways you can define faith. Faith is a shout before the walls ever come down. Faith isn't a shout after the walls come down. You're not in faith. Faith is a shout before the walls ever come down. So what do you got to do? You got to remind yourself of what God's spoken to you. Write it down. Make it plain. Read it. Meditate on it. If you got it audible, great. Listen to it. But that's exactly what he told the children of Israel. You want to go into this promised prophetic word? You got to remind yourself what God said. Number two, go to Hebrews 10. Am I helping you at all tonight? Hebrews 10. Three things to do. To wage a good warfare with the prophecies you've been given that you know are of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. The confession of what? Our hope. Our hope without wavering. Notice this, underline, because he who promised is what? Well, where did we get our hope from? God. What's hope? The target. What's hope? The promise. What do you put your hope in? What God said. And then faith takes hold of it in the inner man. You listening? But you got to have hope because if you don't have hope, you got no goal. You got no goal setter. You got no target. Well, where's the goal come from? What God said. What God promised. What are you supposed to do? Read it again. Let us hold fast the confession of what? Our Our hope. Notice this. Without what? So you need to keep, number two, ready? You need to keep boldly confessing out loud what God has said. You got to remind yourself of it, but then you got to do what? Boldly confess out loud what God has said to you. Boldly confess. Hold fast to the confession of your hope, what God promised, without wavering. Don't waver. Keep declaring it. Keep declaring. God said, God said, this is what God said. Declare it. And then say it. Because he who promised is what? Faithful. And if you speak it, you're speaking what he said, and you're giving him something to work with because he confirms his word yes. with signs following. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. But it's got to be spoken. That's right. So one, remind yourself of what God has spoken to you. Two, do what? Boldly confess out loud. Don't, don't be quiet about it. When it literally says, hold fast your confession, that's not a quiet statement. That's you speaking out loud to yourself. You don't need to do it when everybody else is around you. They didn't going to understand what you're talking about. But you got to boldly confess out loud over and over again what God has said. God, I thank you that you're faithful and you said. So therefore, it'll come to pass. Because you said it. Can I get a better amen? amen? Hebrews 13, last one. Hebrews 13, verse 15. 13, 15. Aren't you glad you got a hold of this tonight? Therefore, by him, by God, let us do what? Let us do what? Let us do what? Continually offer. Oh, continually offer what? The sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips. What you're saying is giving what? Thanks. What are you doing? Giving thanks to his name. So number two, I'm boldly confessing, Father, you said, and therefore I believe, and I keep confessing, this is what you said. So I'm saying what you said, number three. Then you know what you're going to do? Start thanking him. Continually offer thanks to God for what he promised. Therefore, I thank you. I thank you that it is so. Would you start off with number two? This is what you said. And number three, so I thank you. I thank you that it's so. I thank you that you're faithful. I thank you your promise is true. I thank you, Father, that it is so because you said it in Jesus' name. Three things. One, do what? Remind yourself of what God's spoken to you. What are you doing? You're speaking it to yourself. You're listening to it. You're reading it out loud. You're meditating on it. Number two, you boldly confess out loud what God has said, for he is what? He's faithful. And number three, continually then do what? Offer thanks to God for what he promised. And that is how you wage a good warfare over the prophecies that were given to you. 
Ones that either haven't come to pass or even ones that maybe have. And now you're kind of struggling battle a little bit. Is this really God? What should you be doing? You should be boldly saying what those, what those uh, uh, words that God gave you have said. Father, you said I'm a pastor. You confirmed it through leadership. Praise God. And therefore, I remind myself of those words that I've received. And I declare that I'm a pastor according to your word. And I thank you that you've gifted me to do it. So see, this is how you wage a good warfare with prophecy. And it'll help you. It'll help you. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.